0: I'm Dr. Max Pemberton, a doctor and Daily Mail columnist, and this is part two of a special three-part podcast for Male Plus Health, where I talk to Dr. Richard Viney, consultant urologist at Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Birmingham. Richard, uh, last week we were talking about the prostate. And we touched upon erectile dysfunction or kind of impotence. And this week, uh, we're going to focus primarily just on that uh, because it's a very difficult topic, isn't it? I think for a lot of men, uh, they're worried about it and it affects a lot of men, doesn't it?
1: Erectile dysfunction is a a common problem, but erectile dysfunction is a feature of men as they get older and it affects 40% of men over 40, we know from from studies from the States, certainly. And those numbers seem to be relatively consistent. Um, And the thing about an erection is that it involves a number of different uh, systems within the body. Firstly, there's a lot of brain involved. So there's a massive emotional side. You've got to be in the mood, as it were. You've got to be aroused. Erections just don't, can't be just made to happen. So that mindset is important. And then the way that mindset is, that, that, that sort of central nervous stance is communicated to the penis is by is through the nervous system. So you need a nervous system that's working. And then when those signals reach the penis, it's a vascular event. It's about manipulating blood supply into the big, two big tubes within the penis called the corpora. And these are basically glorified and very specialist veins. And, they, and the blood flow into them needs to be managed. You want blood going in, no blood coming out. And that's how you get your erection. Once your the erection's there and it's done its business, then there's the whole process of unpicking the erection, the detumescence. And that's quite complex as well. And so any problems with any three of these particular systems will start to manifest itself in erectile dysfunction. Most commonly, it's actually vascular issues as we get older, things like smoking, diabetes, poor diet, impact on our our, our, uh, blood supply. And actually the penis can be considered a little bit of a minor's canary when it comes to vascular health. So if you were to go on to a a cardiac ward and, and talk to patients who have had heart attacks, and ask them about their erectile performance, you'll find that it's actually gone off the last six months to a year. Um, and that's a sign that, 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 that vascular systems within the patient are starting to struggle. It's not quite as easy as that because they'll often be on treatments for blood pressure and other things that can also impact. But when patients come to you talking about erectile dysfunction, it should ring a little bit of an alarm bell about their overall vascular health. Other things that affect the nerves, particularly diabetes can affect these types of nerves, uh, surgery in the pelvis or, or problems with the back, these can also have impact on, uh, on, the, on the nerves that plug, take the signals to, 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 to the penis. And so that can be an issue with erectile function. And then, of course, there is that emotional side. And with that is sexual confidence. So if there have been some events where erections have failed or you know, you've got a new partner and you've dinner, dancing, then to bed, and it doesn't quite happen, then you can get sort of a bit of uh, performance anxiety, if you like, and then you're overthinking it. And so the second time you're in the bedroom, the problem's there again, and then again, and before you know it, you're finished. And so there there are all these different issues that can account for erectile dysfunction. The the, the role of a urologist or the GP is try to unpick these things, work out which are genuine pathology that need treatment, and which are perhaps just uh, emotional, psycho-emotional issues that need a bit of uh, hand-holding, a bit of help.
0: Yeah. Um, so the first question we've had is uh, from a 57-year-old. who said, I have had erectile problems over the past six months,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but numerous blood tests have come back okay. I've also noticed that my penis has a bend in it when erect.
1: Okay. So, I mean, he's clearly getting erections because he's describing his penis getting erect. But my, this does sound like a condition called Peyronie's disease. And this is a, a condition we don't fully understand but it involves some scarring to one or both of these specialist tubes that we were describing within the penis. And so it's a bit like having a balloon, one of those long balloons that are really difficult to blow up for a party, kid's party. If you try and blow one of those up and and you've put like a bit of sellotape on the side of it, on one side of it, you'll find that it will blow up and then bend in the direction of the side where the sellotape's been placed. That is working like scar. It's not allowing... That side of the balloon to grow as it should do, and that's what Perona's disease is. It's a scarring event. It has been associated with sexual athleticism, shall we say? Uh, so people who enjoy variety and and rather unusual positions are perhaps at slightly higher risk. Uh, we yeah, know
0: that people because you put that, that a particular side or the penis is under potential uh, for you know sort of being damaged in some way, and then you get scarring on one side. So if you bend the penis, they're very sort of you know aggressive yep. in some way then, uh, then you, there's the potential for then scarring one of one of the tubes these kind of big vascular tubes that, yeah
1: that's the, that's the hypothesis it's micro trauma driven and over with the repeated micro trauma you start to develop a almost like a keloid scarring type process that's going on there it's all hypothesis got proving this scientifically is almost impossible but we know from celibate groups that they just don't get this condition so that, but there are other issues like it's associated with uh, Dupuytron's contracture, which is that thickening and scarring in the palm of the hand. And you can get similar on the feet as well. And so there, there are obviously other elements that mean that these individuals are prone to abnormal, aberrant scarring in this kind of tissue uh, areas. Um, the process is, is a progressive process. that usually lasts about six months and then just self-limiting. It just stops. It dries up. And so if a patient presents with this as a condition, we usually try and reassure them. There's no medic medicines that have been consistently demonstrated to impact on this. There have been some uh, drugs like verapamil, uh, some uh, 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 tamoxifen, which is an anti-breast cancer drug, have been talked about. But when you look over larger study groups, you find that they don't actually help. Uh,
0: is there not the, uh, I thought there was some injection that you can put that kind of like breaks down the scar tissue and sort of like destroys the scar tissue. Is that is that? Did I make that up?
1: I, th- I think people have looked at these things, but they haven't helped. The only thing that's been demonstrated to work in the active uh, phase of the, of the disease is to help manage the pain, which is use of lithotripsy, which is what we use to shatter stones. And that can help with the pain, but doesn't actually help with the natural history or the severity of the bend. So that's as bad as far as we've got with managing the, the acute phase. There can be a, some erectile issues distal to the the, the the scarring. So you often have normal sort of root and base of the penis erection, but a bit of concord those issues with the tip but when the disease is is stabilized out that's when we talk about a surgical treatment solution and the question we have for our patient ultimately is how bad is the bend and can you still have penetrative intercourse with it because if you can the advice would be stick with it but in some you know it's literally like a coat hook it's that that bent and penetrative intercourse isn't possible and in that setting then a surgery can be undertaken to straighten it problem with straightening surgeries is that they, well, they involve circumcision, so you will be circumcised as a consequence just because we have to access, so we have to pull back the sleeve, as it were. And so in doing so, we, we, we circumcise the patient. And what we end up doing is where the, the opposite side to where the scar is, we, we artificially scar that side as well. So we straighten the penis, and we can judge how well we've straightened it because we, we give an artificial erection on the operating table. But, of course, because we've lost length on the, on the one side from the scarring process and we've shortened it on the other side – there's a loss of length associated with this surgery. Now there is another surgery t- option where you remove the scyre tissue and put a, put a patch over it, usually a bit of vein that's been grafted across. And that's another option if you're trying to preserve length. But these surgeries are associated with, with risk of erectile dysfunction as well as shortening, which is why you'd only roll those dice if you were simply unable to have intercourse. And of course, the issue is the condition can come back. So you may straighten it, and then two or three years later, the patient's back you know bent the other way or you know and, and then you've just got to start from scratch
0: wow okay so it sounds like that's a very a much more complicated condition and it requires quite a lot of sort of careful thought it sounds like for kind of how you manage it the, the yeah.
1: individual. I think I think the reality is because it's a it's a man's penis of course his pride and joy If there's an issue with it then there's of course it's going to be worried but actually for most men when the disease has calmed itself down things are okay and you, you, you muddle on. The amount of people end up actually needing surgical intervention actually quite a few. Okay.
0: Um, so the next question, we've had, had lots and lots of various sort of questions uh, along similar lines. So we just picked this one because it seemed to be representative of the other ones, but it sort of opens up a much bigger set of questions around medication and erections. Um, so so the, this question specifically says, can blood pressure tablets affect things down there? Um, I've had problems in the bedroom since I started taking them six months ago, and it started to get me down. So I suppose this this, this person's asked specifically about uh, blood pressure tablets and erections, but but I mean we know that lots and lots of different medications also have effects on erections. So
1: yeah, so so I mean, this is a whole sort of uh, chicken and egg situation, really. The question is, is is blood pressure and hypertension is a risk factor for erectile dysfunction? In isolation so is his erectile dysfunction a consequence of his long-standing blood pressure issues um yes plenty uh, hypertensive medications of which are a variety can all impact on erections but again trying to tease out whether it's the drug that's driving this or whether it's the the treatment the the, the condition the drug is treating is driving it or probably in reality a bit of both um but we know that uh, beta blockers certainly uh, impact on erections uh, water tablets like fruzamide can also impact on erections um uh the ace inhibitors so anything ending in um april so anything ending in alol, those are your beta blockers anything april which are your uh, um your ace inhibitors uh, and then other things like nifedipine, verapamil they work in a very different way but they can also seemingly have impacts on erections but i guess the issue is is that erectile dysfunction is not going to kill you but hypertension and poor management of that will and so there needs to be some very careful and considered conversation about managing that particular situation and you're right it's not just antihypertensives that caused this but actually thinking in this case of course if the gentleman is having some issues with, with his erections as a consequence and seeing himself as having difficulties in the bedroom then we're back to where we were with performance anxiety and you know it becomes self-fulfilling if you think you're going to go out to fail you're going to fail and so there may be an element of that as well. So this is where the multifactoral the nature of erectile dysfunction needs to be considered. And often maybe a short course of if the patient, if it were not interact with the patient's heart condition, use of something like Viagra or something may restore that confidence just temporarily enough to get the patient back on back on the saddle, as it were. Doesn't necessarily have to become a, a long term uh, solution. But basically, there are a bunch of other stuff that can cause erectile dysfunction. As we discussed, a lot of the erection issues are vascular. And so anything interfering with uh, vascularity can cause erectile dysfunction. That's your your hypertensive medicines. But of course, anything affecting with nerves or neural pathways can also cause erectile dysfunction. So if we think about um, uh, antidepressants, uh, anti-epileptic medicine, uh, uh, anti-anxiety medicines, um, anti-Parkinsonian medicines these all can also impact on erectile dysfunction. But again, it's one of those situations where we know depression, which you'd be having antidepressants, causes erectile dysfunction. So again, it's that chicken and egg. Is it the drug that's driving it? or is it the the condition you're treating? And then of course, you know, if you're a bit depressed and your performance is poor, then you get the anxiety, performance anxiety. So the multifactorial uh, issues become, uh, come to the surface once more, but you get some other medicines that can also rather bizarrely impact on erectile dysfunction. So some, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like um, uh, indomethacin have been shown to uh, affect uh, erectile function and uh, antihistamines and the reason for that of course if you get uh, histamine reaction you see it's a lot of redness involved so histamine is involved integrally with the manipulation of vasculature so that's kind of why why antihistamines may also impact on there and some histamine related medicines that we use for the stomach like cimetidine and ranitidine, although that's very difficult to come by these days they can also be associated with erectile dysfunction so a lot of drugs will impact on, on erections unfortunately
0: um, which then I suppose brings us on to the next question which is I tried viagra which I bought online because I was embarrassed but it didn't work for me and my gp has since told me that I shouldn't take it as I have a heart condition what other treatments are there for impotence uh, I've been happily married for 40 years and my wife and I would like to continue to have a sexual
1: relationship. So never buy drugs online. I mean, you'd be lucky if you get the drug you've asked for. At worst, you'll probably, you know, if you're unlucky, you'll just get a placebo. At worst, you might get something that's, that is that is a drug that isn't the drug you're expecting and might cause all sorts of problems. Um, so you just don't want to go down that route. Um Embarrassment is understandable, but the reality is that, these, that Viagra is now is actually available over the counter in in, in a pharmacy. So just go to a, a Boots that's not in your on your local high street where they don't know you, and approach them, and they will use, they will ask you some screening questions to make sure that it's not a, a risk to you, and you can buy Viagra in that setting. But ideally, this is a conversation you should be having with your doctor because, of course, as we discuss the issues around erections, can represent uh, underlying issues like diabetes and high blood pressure, which could have more devastating consequences to you if undiagnosed and untreated. Viagra, actually, there's a fair bit of confusion as to which patients can and can't have Viagra. And this concept that anyone with a heart condition can't have Viagra isn't completely fair. Viagra is an interesting drug. It was originally being developed as an antihypertensive. So it was designed to lower blood pressure. Uh, And when they did the study, they were very disappointed with the results. And so when they pulled the placebo controlled study, they were quite surprised when half the patients stepped up and said, no, they want to stop the drug. And when inquired, it was like, because their sex life had never been better, at least on the male side. Um, and that's when the side effect became evidence. And that's how Viagra and PD, uh, PDE5 drugs, that whole drug class came, uh, came to be. And, um, Although rubbish and anti-hypertensive drug, it is used in specialist types of high blood pressure like pulmonary hypertension. So it still has a role in that setting. And so because it, it does have a vague influence on blood pressure, it will boost some uh, blood pressure medication, particularly nitrate related medicine. So if you're on nitrates, you shouldn't be taking Viagra just because it can cause quite dramatic uh, hypotension. I mean, a lot so of other
0: clarify, so hypotension is different. It's the opposite to hypertension. Yeah. Hypotension is, is very low blood pressure.
1: Yeah. That can precipitate faints or potentially strokes. And so it's not somewhere you really want to go unnecessarily. Um, and if you genuinely can't use uh, Viagra or Viagra-like drugs in this setting, then there are alternatives. A great alternative that I don't think people think of enough is a pump. And they're over, you buy them over the counter, lovehoney.com will do them. Uh, so if you want to go online and you want the sort of discretion of that, or if you want to buy them over the counter, you can go to Ann Summers or places like this. And it, it's basically not too dissimilar to um, to a pint glass, really, that you'd stick over your, your penis. It has a little either a manual pump or a battery-driven pump that will suck air out of that chamber, drawing blood in. And then at the very base of the the, the the pint pot, for want of a better term, is a rubber band that right. you just roll over the base of the penis. Um, and that's say, That sounds like a, some kind of like torture. <laughs> no, well, it sounds to me like a lot of fun. Um, but uh, th- no, they're very effective. There's no doubt about it. We talked about the, the, the Peronis patients. There's some evidence that you can use th- that to maintain the erection quality and also try and keep the penis relatively straight because the chamber itself will almost mold the shape of the penis in it, depending on the size of the, the, the chamber you have.
0: It, so at these pumps, they wouldn't do damage necessarily Uh, the kind of thing that might be a bit you you know you'd want to do it under kind of medical supervision almost I think
1: think again you'd want to have had a discussion with a medical health professional before going down that route just because of the potential other things driving your erectile dysfunction and they they need to be looked at but as a device in itself I guess if you if you're using it eight to ten times a day it probably might cause harm but I'm not aware of studies demonstrating that but certainly again for patients who are recovering from prostate surgery the beauty about a pump is that is that while the nerves and the, and the pathways are recovering after the surgery, and that can take many months, the the, the vascular, the complex vascular structures in the, in the penis start to fibrose up. The use of a pump, twice a day, will will bring blood in and 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 keep these tissues working. So it's a bit like physiotherapy in some respects. Um, so I'd certainly use one of those and if you can get your partner on board and she's got a broad and open mind you, can, you know why not have some fun with that okay. um, but there are other things that you can use so um, you can use uh, 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 another type of uh, what we call a vasoactive substance so a substance that causes blood vessels to dilate and what have you is uh, prostaglandins and the beauty about that is it can be applied locally so there used to be uh, a treatment called Muse which is quite hard to come by and that's been replaced by a treatment called Vitaros which is like a little dropper and you literally just drop a couple of drops of the liquid into the, um, into the meatus. That's the hole you wee through. And it just gets absorbed from the urethra into the corpora of the penis. And that will, that for many patients can get quite a good result as well. I don't know, I've never even heard of
0: this. And um, what about, because it is there a thing that people, I want to, I can't remember is it's a cabajet or something like that, Where is it's like an injection.
1: Yeah. So, so finally when all those kind of uh, more um, acceptable routes of administration have been explored, then there's a good old injection into the meat of the penis, uh, which you which has to be done with medical supervision up front because it's quite vasoactive and can affect blood pressure in general. So you start with a low dose and your dose escalates in the clinic with the specialist. And whilst we're doing that, we're teaching the individual how to uh, how, how to, to, to work the 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 injector. So the injector comes with the the, the 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 dry drug and the solvent uh, to get uh, in separate chambers. And as you screw the uh the plunger it initially causes it to mix and then you set the dose and depending on the, the dose depends on how far the plunger is depressed so it's quite a technical bit of kit it doesn't take long to get the patient up to speed with it but yes if they want an erection they'll prep the skin inject and you, you rotate the sides of the penis you inject in and yes it will some people say it will give a corpse an erection
0: Right, and just—I mean, I'm not going to dwell on this too much, but I'm just sort of intrigued because like, I've never seen this.
1: Yeah.
0: Is the needle—is it a very, very fine needle, like almost like a diabetic needle? Yes. Or, oh, okay. Because I've okay, fine. <laughs> that right. was my question because I've got the kind of horror, horrible image of like a massive proper kind of you know syringe-type needle. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the needle has to be quite short because you don't right. want it going through and through, um, and yes, of, of, a, of a very narrow calibre because the last thing you want to do is start creating. Uh, damage uh, and leaks in this area because you'll end up with other potential problems. Okay, let's, let's not dwell on this now. It's making me feel faint. Okay. But, but the use of Cavajet has dropped off massively because of these other medicines and these other big bits of kit that we have. It's rare that we need to go to that length. The patients that need Cavajet these days are largely patients who have had prostate surgery where their nerves have gone. Hmm. And, and so th- there really is no way you're going to medicate your way out of that situation. Um,
0: So the final question, what can be done to slow things down? And they put that in inverted commas. Um, I have started suffering from premature ejaculation, and it's absolutely mortifying. My partner is understanding, but I worry in the long term he'll get fed up and leave me. Could stress cause it? I've had a hard time at work lately. Okay. I guess
1: it isn't you actually asking this question, Max, but uh, if it is, don't worry, there's stuff that can be done. Um, It's actually quite surprisingly common... Defining premature ejaculation is part of the problem here because um, its definition is is quite woolly and it's basically uh, reaching climax before the satisfaction of both partners and so when the American studies have been done uh, they've found one in three complain of this but you know these might be some gentlemen are going at it for five to ten minutes and then climaxing and then but still for them they'd say well that's not good enough I wanted to go further So you've got to take that one in three with a pinch of salt. But at the the one extreme, there are some individuals who literally can't even get the penis into the vagina before they're they're ejaculating everywhere. And this isn't really a pathology because all the stuff is working. Um, It's just working a little bit too uh, enthusiastically. And it begs the question, and, and the belief is that most of this is actually behavioral and psychological. And uh, it's uh, lots being looked at in regards to personality traits and previous sexual experiences, or what have you. A lot of that kind of work's been done, and it's and, and it's certainly higher in, in in groups that have had an exp- uh, um, a history of, sort of a repression of sexual sexuality. It's also associated with low confidence, relationship problems, um, and of course part of the problem with it is it can become uh, self-fulfilling, the relationship problems issues, because if it's a problem with the relationship, the relationship fails. The, the individual never has that opportunity to try and work with a partner around the problem, getting comfortable with that partner, being able to take their time uh, with intimacy. And so a lot of the treatment here is with the, the couple and with a lot of patients and a lot of conversation and, and looking at this as a long-term project rather than a quick fix but people will try quick fixes and there are a number and it's nice to start without medication. So there is uh, a couple of tricks that are often recommended. First is um, basically uh, stop and start. which seems common sense, but you know, if you, whatever sexual activity is bringing you close to climax, stop it. Take a breath, try and think about something else. Think of England, for instance, or her mother, uh, and then go back at it. Um, that's one option. Uh, the other one is, is the squeeze technique. So, as again, you're, you're, you're reaching climax, squeeze the penis and squeeze it hard. What you're trying to achieve with that squeeze is actually to de the penis, I make it a little bit softer. So you're trying to squeeze some of the blood out. Um, and that can help. Although, to be honest, the results with those kind of measures are largely disappointing. The medical options are limited. Antidepressants can help because it's a side effect of an antidepressant, but it seems like a long way to go to try and manage a condition to, to put someone on antidepressants. So it's not a, a direction we usually travel.
0: So I was going to say, because that's often one of the complaints I see in clinics, I start a lot of people on antidepressants. And we know that actually, when you look at studies, the number one reason why people on an antidepressant stop the antidepressant is actually because of the sexual side effects. Now, that can be the impotence, but also some of them, um, cause a, a, a delay like a really unsatisfactory delay in, in being able to ejaculate so that people are, sometimes it takes them an hour two, three hours in order to be able to ejaculate which is kind of very stressful and horrible um, uh, so it's interesting because a, a couple of years ago I worked in a psychosexual clinic and very occasionally we would use antidepressants for the for, for that side effect yeah. so we would kind of start something like say citalopram which is a very sort of standard SSRI antidepressant um, we would start that to try and sort of give people a bit more delay but the difficulty I found is that then people come back. And go, well, now it takes me two hours. So it took me one minute, and now it's taking me two hours. Like,
1: and you just no pleasing some people, is there? <laughs> uh, but, but there is. So trying to get to, to the root of whether there's a pathology here, people have looked at serotonin levels, and there's definitely a, a correlation between high serotonin levels and normal or prolonged um, uh, intervals to, to uh, ejaculation and low serotonin levels have been associated with premature ejaculation and low serotonin levels are of course associated with things like depression, et cetera. So th- th- there is clearly some central issues in there as, as well as it possibly being learned, uh, et cetera. It's also a side effect of opiates. So the use of codeine or tramadol, but again, we don't want to get patients hooked on those kind of medications. So, but having said that, A great medicine to try in this setting, ironically, are things like Viagra or uh, Cialis. These are the PDE5 drugs because, yes, they give you a great erection. But in doing so, and because uh, it actually makes it quite difficult for some people to climax. So people on these drugs find they're having a great sex. Well, there's very little to complain about because they're getting great erections that just seem to go on and on and on and on. And so where a sexual uh, um, liaison may have lasted five minutes, it's suddenly going on for half an hour. But some people do find at the end of it a bit frustrating because it actually can't climax. So uh, it would work well in this setting because it should cause some delay. But equally, if ejaculation were to occur, erection will often rapidly recover. And so that sexual event will hopefully ultimately satisfy the partner as well. So that would certainly be a place to go. Finally, of course, there's the issues about whether you should use uh, uh, local anesthetic gels and creams to numb the penis. You can do that, uh, and there's some people who, who, who feel it helps. But, of course, you've got to make sure you've got to clean it off because you don't want to desensitize the vagina. And some women's vaginas can actually be sensitive to these agents. They can get inflamed and irritated by them. Another way around it is to use the cream and then perhaps put a condom over it so you're getting that, that, that double level, level of desensitization and protecting the female And of course, the the, the condom itself has a constriction ring at the base of it, which can be of help as well. So that's certainly worth exploring if you don't want to move on to to medication. But um, but by and large, it's about finding a relationship, working with your partner, because usually with time and confidence with that partner, it actually does get better.
0: Okay, thank you. That's all we've got time for today, but come back next week for part three. In the meantime, if you want more from Richard, you can go to thebladderclinic.co.uk and you can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google. And whilst you're there, please leave us a review.